invite, if you would, open up your Bibles to the book of James. James is towards the very end of the Bible. It's right after the book of Hebrews. James chapter 3 will be in uh, verses 13 to 18 this morning. And uh, we are continuing our sermon series through the book of James. And what we've been looking at so far is uh, chapter 1, we were basically talking about the basics of faith. Chapter 2 is a lot about how that faith works. And then in chapter 3, all the way almost through all of chapter 4, James is talking about the marks of consistent faith. And we're in kind of the middle of that section here. And and so what James is going to be talking about here is this. He's going to be talking about what is uh, the wisdom of true faith. That There are actually two different types of Wisdom, there's a heavenly wisdom, there's an earthly wisdom. Which one of those wisdoms accompanies true faith? That's what we're looking at. James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But... The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray and ask the Lord for help. Our wise and holy Father, we are seeking to do that which is a miracle. That we are as finite creatures seeking to know the infinite one. Uh, Worship is, it's impossible without you. For we are so self-absorbed, self-centered, and we are in the depths of our depravity. But by your spirit, we can worship you. And you can help us to take our eyes off of ourselves and place them upon you and place them upon your gospel so that we might see Jesus. Because he's who we long to see. So we're asking that you would meet us where we are with everything that's been going on this week and that you enable us in the moment of preaching, you would enable us to worship you. And we would walk forth from here changed and seeing your change in this world. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Do you seek to do good or to look good? In an orchestra, it's better to have 60 average or good musicians who are playing together rather than to have 60 great musicians who are all individually trying to stand out so that they can be noticed. You see, 
it's actually better in that orchestra that they play well together rather than one person trying to receive all the glory because when they do, it will not sound good. And actually, we could say that trying to look good rather than truly doing good is one of the major reasons why churches are failing today. Because we're obsessed in a celebrity culture We're obsessed with having our own followers. We're obsessed with looking good. We're obsessed with power and prestige. And so we will do anything to receive those followers just so that we can look good rather than do good. So let me ask you this, Grace Church. Let us ask ourselves, are we seeking to actually do good or are we seeking to look good? That's what James is, is getting at here. And uh, James is, re- is really broken down into three sections. First, in verse 13, how to confirm wisdom. Secondly, what we're going to see is how to confirm worldly wisdom in verses 14 to 16. And then thirdly, we're going to see in verses 17 to 18, how to confirm heavenly wisdom. So first, let's look at how to confirm wisdom. Look back at verse 13. Who is wise among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Here's what James is saying. James is saying that wisdom shows itself. And you will be able to tell what type of wisdom someone has based off what you see. What is wisdom? That's actually uh, the first question we need to ask. And really... As James is doing something so similar to Proverbs, it is very helpful to quote Proverbs 1 verse 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And anything that departs from the fear of the Lord is unwise and foolish. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is not merely knowing about God, it is knowing God intimately. I love it what, what, one, person, what one pastor says out in Seattle. He says, uh, or excuse me, in, in, in Oregon, he says, faith is not merely believing in God, it is believing God. Faith is taking God at his word, and as you see what God says, you say, I believe that and I will live in light of it. You don't merely just believe in the facts, you live in light of the facts. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is more than just an education. And especially someone with a master's in divinity, we better be careful that just because we've been educated, that does not mean that we are wise. The world is constantly telling us all we need is more education, better education. But we have more access to everything in the world right now. And if something, we are being educated more and more and more and more and more. But the world is going further and further down into foolishness. We need wisdom. Wisdom is more than just educated. Obviously, to grow in wisdom, we need to know more, but wisdom actually shows itself. How does it show itself? We'll look back at it. By his good conduct, let him show his works. In other words, wisdom shows itself in good 
conduct. Conduct is, it's a word that's often used in the context uh, whenever someone says that they are walking in a way that is worthy of the city. In other words, as you see her or as you see him, that they would look at their life and they would say, that person is living worthy in light of our great city. Conduct is an outward life that overflows from the thought life. Did you hear that? You become what you think about. And if the thought life is important for our conduct and therefore for our wisdom, if the thought life is important, then it means that our thoughts must be more on God than ourselves. Did you hear that? I just said something that would be incredibly uh, unpopular in today's world of love yourself, and if you, you can't love others until you love yourself, or be all you can be, or you get yours, or look out for priority number one, listen to me. It means we must think more of God than ourselves. That's wisdom. Ask, we need to ask ourselves this. Are we more concerned with knowing ourselves or are we more concerned with knowing God? That's what James is getting at. 1 Peter 2 verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Here's the connection between that verse and here in James, is that wisdom, heavenly wisdom, is key for our evangelism. That means that our evangelism does not rest in merely how many facts we know. It means that we need godliness. That's what we need in today's age. Very similar to what Jesus says, let your light shine before men. Wisdom, it shows itself, and it shows itself in good conduct, but it also shows itself in humility. Look at the very end. By his good conduct, let him show, him, let him show his works in the meekness or the humility of wisdom. Humility combined with wisdom actually would have been really strange for them to hear back in that day. Because if you had wisdom or if you had great speaking ability, then you would garner all these followers and that's kind of how they would make their living is that people would want to go listen to these people who sounded so wise and those people often became most proud. But actually true wisdom shows itself in humility. Where's James getting this? Well, we're going to see later. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is obviously getting this from Jesus. The world can't make this up. He talks about that wisdom shows itself in humility, in meekness. And it's the same word that's used of Jesus to describe his own heart. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, where he says, come to me. And you ask the question, okay, why should we come to you? He says this. Because I am gentle and lowly in heart. In other words, are we trying to be more and more like Jesus? That's the question about wisdom. Jesus even calls this way of wisdom, this meekness, this humility, he calls it the blessed life in the Beatitudes. And in Matthew 5 verse 5 where he says, blessed are the meek. 
You see, this word humility, meekness, is distinguished from anger, cruelty. Uh, It's the picture of a king who in his rule, even though he has all this power, he's kind. He's not harsh. And that's interesting because oftentimes when we think of leadership, we often think of someone who needs to go in and rough things up and shake people up so that they can get their lives back together. We often don't think of someone who is humble. Those controlled by selfish ambition, as we'll see in a second, they are typically more warlike than they are peaceful. This is not merely just a human temperament. It's not a Enneagram personality profile. This is a fruit of the Spirit. It comes from God. Wisdom, it shows itself. It shows itself in good conduct. And so the question is this. If it shows itself in good conduct and also in humility, and humility is about laying yourself low, here's the question for you. Do you seek to actually do good to people, or do you seek to look good? James is saying that wisdom shows itself, so we see that wisdom confirms itself, but what type of wisdom uh, is there out there in the world where there's two different types? There's worldly wisdom, and there is heavenly wisdom. And so here's how we can confirm what worldly wisdom is. Look at verses 14 to 16. But if you have bitter jealousy, if you have bitter jealousy, he says then in verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. What does he mean by bitter jealousy? Bitterness is something that, like gumbo, it just simmers for a long time in your heart. Bitterness harbors on something Bitterness is fueled by self-centeredness. Bitterness says, they don't deserve what they have. I deserve that. And I'm going to simmer over that for a long time so that there's more and more of a wall between us. Bitterness says, I'm not getting what I deserve. Bitterness says, life is not fair. And ultimately, bitterness says that God is not just. We need to be careful We need to be careful about a bitter heart, bitter jealousy. Jealousy is the opposite of contentment. It's the opposite of thankfulness. It's the opposite of actually celebrating other people. And so you see what James is saying here, right? He is saying that bitter jealousy is not heavenly wisdom. That whenever you're looking around at people and you're saying, I should have that, I should have that, they shouldn't have that, and they shouldn't have that, that is not godly wisdom. It's actually the opposite of love. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 14. He says, love does not envy. Bitter jealousy is not heavenly wisdom. It's not love. There's one summer day. A fox was strolling in a vineyard, and he looks up and he sees these grapes high up on the vineyard, and they look perfect for his taste. They will satisfy his thirst. And so he says, I'm going to get those grapes. And so he backs up, and he runs, and he jumps up, and he misses. And so he recalculates, and he backs up even further, runs even faster, jumps even higher, and he misses. 
And he tries time and time and time again. And finally, he gives up and he says, those grapes were probably sour anyway. You see, we often become bitter and sour over what we don't have after we try to get it over and over and over again. And in our self-centered culture, we first try so hard to get these things by any means necessary, and then when we don't have them, we grow in bitter jealousy towards the people who have them. This type of bitter jealousy, it will destroy a church. It will destroy a ministry. Um, It can really damage a family. You see, this bitter jealousy, it means that things become about us rather than about God. It becomes about celebrating our achievements rather than what God is doing. It ignores the fact that all gifts are given by God. Bitter jealousy, it fuels rivalries, it causes division, it encourages gossip and slander and cancel culture. It encourages a critical attitude in legalism. Bitter jealousy resents encouragement and it encourages resentment. Did you hear that? Bitter jealousy resents encouragement of others, but it encourages resentment of others. In our celebrity culture that no doubt has influenced the church, we often find ourselves asking these questions. Who has the most public gifts? Who has the biggest followers? And then when we aren't like them and we're jealous, we say, how can we discredit their ministry so that we can steal their followers? That's what bitter jealousy does. Here's how it often shows up. Obviously, in the questions of when we're constantly thinking about how many people are following me. How often am I speaking in front of people? How often am I the reason why other people change? Or do people respect me more than this person? That's what bitter jealousy is doing. Bitter jealousy feels threatened when others are gifted, when others are listened to, when others are respected when others are loved, and especially when others are celebrated. James is digging deep. It's not his opinion, it's what God is saying. He's also saying that that true heavenly wisdom is not only not filled with bitter jealousy, but it does not have selfish ambition. Okay, wow, James would be super unpopular today. Very unpopular today. That actually, earthly wisdom is about selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is this, it's actually this Greek phrase that was often used by other writers that would talk about a politician who would run for office and who would seek to gather and gain control of that office by any means necessary, even if it was unjust. Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 3, do nothing, not some things. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Selfish ambition says, essentially at its core, I am more important than you. You need to bow down to my needs. 
That's what selfish ambition is saying. Those of us who struggle with selfish ambition, we make life orbit around us. We make everyone else's schedules orbit around us. Their desires have to orbit around our desires. And everyone has to orbit around our goals and our plans. Because it's all about us. We are the sun and they better be orbiting around or they're kicked out of our galaxy. In 1946, Leo, I hope I say his last name correct, Leo DeRocher, he was uh, the manager of the Dodgers, and they were leading the National League and their arch rival, the New York Giants, before they moved to San Francisco. Yes, we're talking about baseball, not football. The New York Giants, their arch rival, they were actually last in their division. And during a game between the two teams, DeRocher was mocking the Giants in front of the media. And finally, one of the sports writers said, why don't you be a nice guy for a change? DeRocher pointed over to the Giants' dugout, and he says, you see them? Nice guys are over there. Do you know a nicer guy than the Giants' manager, Mel Ott, or any of their players? They're the nicest guys in the world, and where are they? They're in last place. And that's how we got the saying that nice guys finish last. But isn't it interesting that about 1950 years before this, Jesus said something like this. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Let us ask ourselves honestly this question. Do we seek to actually do good to others or are we seeking to look good? And if we're honest, and hopefully this is the case... That will cut deep. Paul, I mean, excuse me, I'm preaching Galatians right now to our students in RUF. I'm going to mix up Paul and James. James is saying, if you have bitter jealousy and if you have selfish ambition, you are boasting in yourself and therefore you are lying. When life is all about you, essentially what he's saying, when life is all about you, you're lying. Who do you glory in? Who do you actually worship? Here's the key question for that. Who do you think about most? Because if conduct is influenced by the thought life, and if we are constantly the observation of our thought life, and really we're bowing down to ourselves in our thought life because life is all about us, it will inevitably show itself in our conduct. That's a pretty harsh word for the selfie generation. Here's what, this, here's what James calls this wisdom. He says it's not heavenly, it's earthly. It's not God-centered, it's man-centered. He calls it, and he gets strong here. He calls it earthly, and he calls it unspiritual. Unspiritual means, here's what that word means. It means a life that is out of touch with God. Do you you realize what, what James is saying here? He's saying, look, even if people are amongst you, and they're quoting scripture, and they're talking about theology, but if their life is all about them, and they have this earthly wisdom, even if they use biblical terms, even if they sound so smart, even if they have all these gifts, if they are filled with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, they have a life that is out of touch with God. 
Paul, yes, actually Paul, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, the natural person, which is in the same vein as this unspiritual person, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. You hear that? When Jesus says, take up your cross, really selfishly ambitious people are saying, that's foolish. And we say that in our hearts to the God of infinite wisdom. Selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, and boasting in ourselves have absolutely no place in Christianity and in the church. Paul, at the end of his letter to the Galatians, he says, if we're going to boast in something, what are we going to boast in? We're going to boast in the cross, which, by the way, is all about a man laying down his life rather than making it all about him. He also says this type of wisdom is demonic. Whoo! You can't make this stuff up. James is saying that this wisdom is taught by demons. Demons who learned it from their master, Satan. Satan has taught these demons to tempt us with this type of wisdom to think. And this goes all the way back to Genesis 3. And listen to this temptation. That they're constantly telling us over and over and over, you can be like God. 1 John 5.19 says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And no wonder that what we're seeing in the world, and this makes sense, that when with all this selfish ambition that is growing and growing and growing, it's no wonder that we're simultaneously seeing less and less of God and his gospel. The summary here is uh, James is saying that essentially these people are refusing to treat God's word as God's word. Because if it's really God's word, he knows everything about life. Jealousy and selfish amb ambition, James says, they bring multiple things. They bring disorder and every vile practice. Now, y'all, this cuts deep. James is saying that almost at the core of the problems in the church are people's selfish ambitions. That all these vile practices come in because of selfish ambition that is actually in our hearts. He says it also brings disorder. He means instability, confusion, loss of peace. So what he means in chapter 1 verse 8 when he talks about being double-minded, tossed to and fro. You see, we do seek, and we must seek the peace and the purity of the church. But let us not think that just because we are pursuing the purity of the church that we are doing so out of godliness. But also to be sure, just because someone is seeking the purity of the church and even seeking the purity of the church theologically, that does not mean they're doing it out of selfish ambition. Actually, this cuts both ways because oftentimes we can deny to align ourselves to God's word and we can deny the Bible, we can deny the sufficiency of scripture and we can say we really don't want to align ourselves with God's word because if we do, it'll go against our goals and our plans and that is selfish ambition. 
See, hard feelings and bitterness, it builds up walls and it causes division rather than unity. And most often, I think G.K. Chesterton nailed it. I'll just give it in this illustration. You've probably heard this. Basically, someone wrote in the paper, what's the big problem with society? And he wrote back, me. Um, if we went to go plant a church on Mars, do you know uh, who the biggest problem of that church would be? Me. Because we have more hell in our hearts than we realize. One pastor gives a story. He says, look, I got three boys, and they often try to one-up each other. One of the boys once said, when I grow older, I'm going to be a worship leader. The middle child said, well, when I grow older, I'm going to be a pastor. Here's what the youngest said. Well, when I grow older, I'm going to be God. But if we're honest, in our bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, what we're really saying deep down is I will be God. Do we want to actually do good or are we obsessed with looking good? That's earthly wisdom. Thirdly, what's a heavenly wisdom? Because we need another way. We need another way. How do we confirm heavenly wisdom? Look at verses 17 to 18. James is about to just rattle off this list that is so beautiful, and it should remind us of Galatians 5 when Paul gives the fruit of the Spirit. And there is a connection here between wisdom and spirit. James is saying that this wisdom from above, it's pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. What does he mean by this? He means that if you really have heavenly wisdom, you will show these things. So grace, let us ask ourselves, is, are our lives showing this? What does he mean by pure? He means holy. 1 John 3 verse 3 describes Jesus using this word as pure. He talks about this wisdom is peaceful. It's promoting peace in the church. And it's interesting because two of the big instances that we see of James in the book of Acts in chapter 15 and chapter 21. Do you know what James is doing? He is promoting peace in the church. Isn't that interesting? This wisdom is gentle. It is mild. It is kind. It is gracious. It is not violent. It avoids quarreling. This type of wisdom, it reflects an attitude of contentment even when you've been treated unjustly. That's what it means. Actually, this wisdom, it often absorbs offenses and forgives, even and at times, especially when you look humiliated publicly. Is this not what Jesus did before Pontius Pilate? They threw insults at him time and time and time and time and time again. What did he do? He absorbed them. He could have, with a word, sent 12 legions of angels and done. But he absorbed them laid down his life because that is the way the kingdom comes. This wisdom, 
It's also open to reason. What does James mean by this? He means it's the opposite of selfish ambition where you, uh, where you never listen to someone else's opinions. It means that you're willing to ask questions rather than to attack someone first. It mercifully listens. It's not accusatory, but it's humbly curious. It is not, listen to me, he is not saying that you abandon the truth. He is not saying that. That word does not mean that. It does mean that while you're holding on to the truth, that you're humbly saying, maybe I am not as accurate as I think. That's the wisdom he's talking about. Literally, it's the opposite of social media today. I think we often forget that God will judge us based on our social media usage. This wisdom is full of mercy, not a little bit of mercy. It is full. It is to the extent of mercy. When people look at this church and when they see that we have heavenly wisdom and we have this mercy, will they be able to look at our church and say, Jesus must be something like that? That's the type of wisdom we're seeking to live in. Full of mercy means to be compassionate, to, be, to pity someone, not to be quick to judgment, not to be quick to put people in camps so that you can treat people differently because of their camp. It's the attitude of showing mercy rather than coming down hard on someone even when they sin against you. It's the opposite of trying to make an example of someone. You can't show mercy to others until you know how much mercy has been shown to you. Here's what James is saying. We don't need less gospel, we need more. It's full of good fruits. It's not partial, it's impartial. And he's had this theme before. He means that this wisdom is not judgmental, it's not divisive, it's not condemning, it's not holding something over someone's head and saying, here, if you mess up again, we'll let people know this. Loving people, no matter how different they are than you. It's sincere. What does he mean by sincere? He means it's without hypocrisy. In other words, it's not putting on a show for yourself. And so if you're not putting on a show for yourself, which is selfish ambition, then who are you showing? Because you must be showing something. You must be showing someone. Who are you showing? You're showing Jesus. That's heavenly wisdom. It's showing him, it's sincere about him. And this list that James is giving us, all he's doing is describing who Jesus is. He's showing us that when we're preoccupied with ourselves, we cannot be like Jesus. But when we look at him over and over and over and over again, then we begin to live in wisdom. As John the Baptist says, we must decrease he must increase. When you reap a harvest of righteousness, and when you reap it in I mean, when you sow a harvest of righteousness and when you sow it in peace, James is saying, you will get peace. Don't be fooled. If we want to see peace, we must sow it. Do we seek to do good or do we seek to look good? Some years ago, a scientist named Stanley, Stanley Milgram, not Stanley from the office, 
scientist Stanley Milgram and some colleagues and an assistant uh, of research, they stopped on a busy New York City sidewalk and they looked upward towards the sky for 60 seconds. And most of the people who were passing by them, they just walked around the men without even glancing up to see what was up there. But then they added about four other people to look up at the sky. And what happened is that the more people they added, the more people who were walking by would stop and look up into the sky. You see, actually, that number quickly quadrupled just by adding a couple more people who would rather, instead of looking down, they would look up. What do you think would happen in this town? And college students, what do you think would happen in the world because eventually you're going to leave here? What would happen if we were a people who, instead of looking within, were looking up? That's what we need. We need more looking to Jesus. We need more asking for wisdom. And wisdom comes from the Spirit, and the Spirit gives us unity with Jesus. It says of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 1.24, He is the wisdom of God. Apart from Him, there is no wisdom. Colossians 2 verse 3 says, All treasures of wisdom are found in Jesus. What we need is more Jesus, not less. And this Jesus, who was truly humble, came to die on a cross, not so that people who had it all together could be saved, but so that broken people, desperate people, would find hope. That's the Jesus you need. Don't come to him trying to look good, because you don't. Come to him with everything you have, and he will give you salvation free. And he will teach you that true way of wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you, even as your word digs deep, that like soil that needs uh, seeds planted into it, that you would till up our hearts. But when you plant the seed of righteousness within us, may it bear fruit. And oh, we're asking for that, that your word would do that, that your spirit would do that so that we might walk in your wisdom. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.